Welcome to the ASCA Viewpoints Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the student conduct profession in higher education. I'm Jill Creighton, your Viewpoints host. Today's episode features Dr. Ryan C. Holmes. Dr. Holmes is Associate Vice President for Student Affairs and Dean of Students at the University of Miami in Florida. Dr. Holmes has oversight of the policies and procedures governing student conduct, Greek life, student crisis, alcohol and other drug education, veteran services, and the Chaplains Association. He completed a Master's of Arts degree in Counseling and Personnel Services from the University of Maryland College Park in 2004, and a second Master's degree in Bilingual Bicultural Studies from LaSalle in 2000. He completed a doctorate in educational leadership and administration at the University of Texas, El Paso. Dr. Holmes has given various talks and presentations dealing with social justice, bias as it relates to race, gender, and other unchangeable traits, conflict resolution, and entitlement. And he's also contributed to several publications and books, including Reframing Campus Conflict, Student Conduct Practice Through a Social Justice Lens, Another one called More Stories of Inspiration, 51 Uplifting Tales of Courage, Humor, and Healing, Learning and Student Affairs, which was a NASPA 2009 publication. He's also written in The State of Student Conduct, Current Forces and Future Challenges, Revisited, which was a 2013 publication by ASCA. And most recently, The Campus Prism, which was a white paper where he wrote on promoting restorative justice initiatives for sexual misconduct. Dr. Holmes has consulted with various colleges and universities across the country and has hosted numerous webinars at the national level. Additionally, from 2010 to 2013, Dr. Holmes was the writer and principal investigator for the Health and Wellness Initiative for Women Attending Minority Institutions Grant, which was awarded to the University of Texas El Paso by the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Women's Health. That was a $300,000 grant. Dr. Holmes served on the American College Personnel Association, ACPA, Ethics Consortium Committee from 2013 to 2015, and also served as the CAS representative, the CAS Advancement of Standards in Higher Education. Uh, He was the expert review panelist to review student conduct program standards in 2014 on behalf of ASCA, and he's a past president of ASCA. Uh, His presidential year was 2012 to 2013. He was also a conference chair and has received the Distinguished Service of Award and the Donald D. Gehring Award through ASCA. Finally, Dr. Holmes and his family recently relocated to Coral Gables, Florida. He and his spouse Maria have been married for eight years and have two children. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ryan Holmes. Dr. Holmes serves as the Associate Vice President and Dean of Students at the University of Miami and is a past president of ASCA. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me, uh, Jill. I really, really appreciate being here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Me too. I think that you have so much to offer uh, the podcast and the profession in terms of your knowledge and expertise in student conduct, your actions and, and teachings as a past Gearing Academy faculty member, and so many more things. So I always like to start, though, with can you just talk about you a little bit? Like, How did you get here? How did you get both to your position in ASCA as well as your position at Miami? Well, thank you. That's a good question. And to be honest with you, uh, I really don't think about uh, that question a lot. I, I just have a go spirit, and, and I always like to do certain projects and be involved in certain things. And most importantly, I just like to build relationships and be around people. But uh, when it comes down to my student affairs journey, you know, specifically, it actually started uh, at the end of college uh, when I was a SGA president. 
And I had an opportunity to uh, have a great advisor by the name of Chris Cameron. And uh, we were talking one day and just having a look at him. And I said, Chris, how do you how do you do the job you do? What do you need to do that job? Right. And so he, uh, he told me uh, about a few schools, of which one of the universities he mentioned uh, with the, the student affairs program was the University of Maryland College Park. So I went there. I was accepted. Now, they took a chance on me because anyone who knows anything about the GRE scores that I had at that particular time, uh, they would have a, have a fun time laughing at those. But I guess other things that I'd done let Maryland take a chance on me. So that's where I went uh, to start my my first master's program, uh, and upon working there, I was, I was also a graduate assistant uh, for multicultural involvement and community advocacy. I was doing music at the time, and so I wanted to remain on the East Coast, and um, so I put uh, my my application up for various jobs all in the East Coast area. My classmates told them, told me that I was crazy, that I'd never find a job in Philadelphia slash D.C. slash New York area. And LaSalle University took a chance on me, and that's how I got into off-campus and commuter student uh, affairs uh, with a little bitty piece of conduct. And that little piece of conduct allowed me to change my life because I realized that the conduct aspect of a job um, was one that I could actually have a student's undivided attention because the stakes were high in those conversations. That also allowed me to uh, go to ASJA at the time um, because I put in for a diversity scholarship. I won a diversity scholarship, and, and one of the stipulations on receiving the scholarship was that you had to come back and present the next year. And so that presentation, which I remember just like it was yesterday, it's the ghetto, I do what I want, a predominantly white institution in a predominantly black neighborhood. I did that presentation, not expecting many people to show up. The room was packed, and I got a chance to meet a lot of good people, share a lot of good information, have a lot of good questions, and that actually started me on multiple paths, one of social justice, diversity. I was also there as well as conduct, and through that presentation and through a lot of other opportunities that people afforded me in the association, I was able to get more so of a well-rounded involvement uh, in, in other parts of the association. So that led to uh, gearing faculty, that led to uh, assistant logistics chair, and then logistics, logistics chair, and then conference chair. And I guess just being around and, and being willing to serve uh, gave me some opportunities to lead towards the presidency and other things. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, there were a lot of people who not only gave me opportunities, but other groups of people who actually supported me uh, in the association, who made me feel as though I mattered in the association, uh, who would just sit around and bounce ideas off of me and let me bounce ideas off of them to to strengthen that. And so that's pretty much the the professional path um, when it comes down to the association. Uh, Do you want to give some specific shout outs to some of your mentors in the field? Oh, well, that's a long list, and so if I were to do that, I'm sure I'd leave um, some some folks out. But I, I mean, the 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 Daniel Cummings of the world, the Tamara Kings, the the Dr. Uh, the Howard Bailey, the Dr. Larry Bowles, is uh, the Dave Parrish. I mean, the Nancy Jacobinis, the Jennifer Swaggs, the Jay Wilkinses. You know, uh, a plethora of of the uh, past president, uh, U.S. the current president. We've shared a lot of of, of time together, uh, both in the country as well as outside of the country in the Philippines. You know, and you know, to be honest with the newer professionals that are coming up too, because they see things through totally different eyes. 
than, than, than what I did or those who came before me didn't. So there were some things we thought we had figured out uh, that these, these newer professionals coming in uh, asking the questions and make you re- rethink your paradigms and whatnot, right? So um, there's so many influences to name. If I didn't name you, please understand that if we shared any time together, you still change and impact in my life and my professional career. But also, I'd also just like to say that there's more than just a professional career. There's personal life. And, you know, I've been married uh, to my wife, Maria, now uh, for over eight years, going on nine, been with her for 12, going on 13. We have two wonderful children, uh, Ramalia, who's five, Raziel, who's 10 months. And um, just that personal family time keeps you grounded as we try to change the world and, and help others change ours. And what do you do in your daily world to try to help change other people's worlds and worldviews and challenge paradigms? <laughs> well, you know, th- to be very honest, <laughs> well, no, that's a good question. For me, um, try to listen to them, right? Try to listen to everybody. Just observe. Uh, because and, and there's going to be parts of every day, at least for me, that someone says something, uh, asks something, does something that makes me want to either support them in that, help them along the way if they allow me to, and just as importantly, challenge them. And uh, I think that uh, in our current climate now, we have more and more people who are reaching out to try to challenge certain thoughts and beliefs. and. Um, you also have a great deal of people who are scared to do that. And so uh, I'd like to see my life as one of the example, hopefully more positive than negative, uh, to assist people in, in, in their own journey of living out loud. So so that's what I like to do in order to, to impact folks, and hopefully I'm impacted by them in positive ways as well. Can you remember a student conduct case that you felt like you had a really good connection with a student and one maybe where you both came out going, wow, that was exactly why I do this work? Yeah, yeah. It's funny you should say that because when I heard you formulating the question, I was like, well, I don't have one. But as soon as you came to the end of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, definitely have one. There was a a gentleman back when I was uh, at my previous institution um, who people would complain about him because of his his hygiene, right, and the way that he would, um, his, his smell, his look. Uh, the way he would make uh, spaces on the campus that were public spaces unbearable for other people based on his hygiene concerns. And so it got to the point that after conversations with this individual, because he did function as a disruption because people weren't just making it up because they didn't like it, uh, like him rather, but he was having that kind of impact on the campus. Uh, We had to have uh, a discipline discussion with him because he wouldn't change his behavior. And he was very evasive uh, when people would try to catch him because it wasn't just his hygiene, but it was also him breaking into the buildings. Well, I take it back, not breaking in, but being in the buildings after they've been closed and hiding out in the buildings uh, and those types of things. And so it was seen as a disruption. It was also seen as a violation of policy for him to to gain um, unauthorized access. He was charged so that we could begin the conversation to figure out where we we're going to go. And so... In the conversation, it was it was noted that he was a homeless individual. He was a homeless student, and I mean traditional age homeless student, right? And so the more I listened to him, the more um, I understood that we're not dealing with someone here who is uh, trying to be a nuisance or is doing anything malicious. We're doing we're dealing with somebody who's doing the best he can to to make it through school. And so in that conversation, uh, I found out that. 
he would also sleep in, you know, um, a 24-hour like restaurants in the corner and, and those types of things. So I asked him, I said, well, do you have any money? Do you have? Do you want any of these resources? And he was like, yeah, I have money. And I was like, well, if you have money, well, I want you you go ahead and um, try to find an apartment. And he was like, well, if I get an apartment, that means I won't have money for tuition. And I don't want to go to a shelter because people are dangerous in shelters. And people uh, may try to take the, the few things that I actually do have that are my possessions. And he was like, I'm fine. He's like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm surviving. I'm not, you know, malnourished. You can look at me and see me. Well, I might smell bad, but that comes with the territory of not having a house. But if I'd rather have an education, something that no one could ever take away, rather than have some materials that I wouldn't necessarily be able to sustain. And he was like, I, I, I encourage you to try to change your paradigm a little bit, to not see me as someone who is deficient, but someone who is whole. And doing uh, and going on his journey in a different way than what others think I ought to, even if I am a mild inconvenience to them. And that was a life-changing conversation for me uh, that made me really question not just the way I thought, but the, the values of others who, when someone's trying to make their way a different way, would kind of be an obstacle to them rather than giving them a fair chance uh, for a minor inconvenience. So how do you take that powerful story and that that powerful change in you and apply that to your work now? Well, pretty much every day. I mean, we have different answers, right? And um, some of us think that we have the answer, and I don't think that there's necessarily the answer in all ways. There may be an answer, right? Um, So there's also some non-negotiables in like condo work. I mean, if you have a policy violation, it's a policy violation outright. You're causing, you know, harm or uh, endangering the health or safety of others and you're defacing property or, you know, uh, those types of things are being perceived as a threat. I mean, there's some clear-cut policy violations. However, there are some things in the work that, that we have an answer for. And we talk about diversity all the time. We talk about social justice all the time. We talk about students being authentic, being who they are, encouraging in those ways. But, you know, it, I guess it depends on the values or the culture of a place as to how far, quote unquote, out of bounds is out of bounds, you know. And I try to get students to push the envelope a little bit short of a policy violation. I ask them to push me a bit, push the staff that I work with a bit. Um, so that we can see things through, um, if not new eyes, at least different eyes, right? Uh, so we can give students a true education in, a di- in, a, in addition to the academic education that they feel, that many students feel that that's the only thing that they're there to get, uh, along with fun, to, to really change the paradigm of what education is so they're educated in a holistic fashion. And Ryan, I know you to be one of the most voracious consumers of knowledge in terms of um, reading all the time with, with literature. So when you're... When you're formulating your own social justice paradigm, where do you draw from? How do you? How have you evolved your social justice philosophy over time? And where do you find yourself sitting in it now? Well, in order for me to sit in my social justice philosophy, I have to get even more comfortable than I am now in sitting in what humanity is, right? And also being able to sit in what it's not through like in the lenses of oppression, power, privilege, those types of things and how they can actually limit uh, or totally almost alleviate the humanity in others. And so when it comes down to like the oppression areas, right, I, I pay very, very close attention to them. And uh, there's um, 
a gentleman by the name of Neely Fuller Jr., uh, who wrote an excellent book. And, and and one of the things well that he talks about is just the areas of oppression, right? And so in order for you to understand, at least I feel, in order for a person to understand social justice, you have to understand what oppression is. And so those areas that most people are oppressed have to do with uh, education, entertainment, economics, law, labor, politics, religion, sex, and war, right? And so a great deal of my readings uh, come from there. And I also believe in reading just about anything in those particular areas, even if I may or may not agree with the basis for it. As a matter of fact, even like say, let's just take religion. I like to read everything that has a has a, some type of religious or spiritual underpinning. So it could be the Bible, it could be the, uh, the the Torah, the Talmud, it could be the Zohar, the Kabbalah, it could be the, the Tibetan book Living and Dying, it could be the Enuma Elish, it could be the I Ching, Bhagavad Gita, you you name it, I'm, I'm in there because I'm trying to figure out what the similarities are. Even some of uh, the Native American spirituality, you know, uh, text and, and even like, you know, um, purification lodges that I've been able to be a part of and those types of things. I like to do all of it because just where the human spirit is. Uh, there will be a great deal of people who would say, well, you're doing too much. You need to pick on faith and stick with it. And I do have a spiritual and a faith base, and I think that needs to be understood. Um, and, and that's my journey, you know, but we got to get to the point where we don't expect somebody else's journey to be exactly like ours because uh, we feel as though that is the way to go. So that's just my philosophy, right? When it comes to a specific type of book, all of them, and also treat people as books if they allow me to and ask questions and, and get their truth, get their journey and see uh, where I may have gone wrong in mine and where I may have yet to go in mine because we get signs and, and wonders from a lot of different places and I believe that. So hopefully that answers your question. Oh, definitely. I just, I, I really feel like every time that we have a conversation, I'm constantly learning from you and I appreciate that so much. Oh, likewise. And that's just one area of the oppression when we talked about, oh, say, religion. I mean, we still have so many other things. I mean, so many authors that are out there. I mean, when it comes down to, like, say, New Jim Crow is, is one of them, you know. There, there's, like, so many things that have to do with law, the understanding of, like, you know, how politics works, uh, understanding about, like, you know, just the construct of race. Travel. Travel is also another thing. Uh, the more I travel, the more I realize that when we work with people uh, and we just remain open-minded and allow ourselves to be changed, we can see exactly how much more wonderful the world is rather than trying to control it. So that's for me, you know, and I know I say we a lot, but this is what I'm feeling right now. But for me, that that's what aids my philosophy. So let's dig into that travel piece for a minute. For the listeners, you may not know, Ryan and I had the incredible opportunity to travel together and represent ASCA at a conference in the Philippines last year. It was the Center for Certification and Accreditation of Student Services in the Philippines. And we were there for their national seminar on student discipline, administration, and higher education. Uh, I know for me, it was transformative. Ryan and I have had offline conversations about how transformative that was. So Ryan, would you mind sharing a little bit about how that trip, how that experience, how that sojourn affected you? Life-changing. And and before I even dig down into it, I want to say, first of all, thank you for allowing me to, to accompany you. Right? Uh, you didn't have to do that, but, but you did. And so if not for you allowing me to, to make that trip with you, I wouldn't have had that life-changing, life-altering trip and, and vast experiences with you. 
And before I even talk about the trip, uh, I, I want to just go ahead and be very, very forthcoming and say that there was one individual who was no longer with us, uh, uh, Mr. Rexy Banyas, who was a, a giant in uh, the Philippines in higher education as well as other industries, uh, who made that trip even more memorable for me to see how a person could have such a big spirit and such a big accepting, such a big love for anyone that he came across. So I just wanted to give um, uh, Rex a, a posthumous shout out because he, he changed my life as well. But I'm going to be honest. I went on that trip based on what we set out to do to represent ASCA, to talk about conduct, uh, to talk about, like, you know, um, sexual misconduct aspects when it comes down to another country's laws, constitution, those types of things. Uh, I went over there really thinking that I was going to teach folks something and show folks something. I ended up being taught a lot, right? Not just about the subject matter, but just about just about life. I mean, when you, the people that we bumped into, at least from my perspective, uh, had so much love, so much hope, so much understanding, so much forgiveness. Because we have to realize that when we were there, there was like you know a, a move in the country that was one of violence in one area, specifically when it came down to the response to drug dealers. And and that's been, um, I think it still may be going, ongoing now, but to have that undertone going on, but also to see the appreciation and desire for education and learning and those types of things that showed you how complex and dynamic humanity can be uh, when we realize, at least when I realized rather, how similar the U.S. Constitution and the Philippine Constitution were and how some of the laws were kind of going in some of the, the same ways, but also how the interpretations could be so so much different. Contextually, it was a, a very amazing trip, uh, and it made me question a lot of things that we do back here in the states that we think are just the way to go. Maybe it may not be. You know, maybe there are other folks in other countries who have a, a better grip and an understanding about the things that we're still wrestling with. You know, so very transforming, very um, a very life changing experience for me, and I appreciate the opportunity to have been able to go. I agree with you that it was. One of the most life-changing experiences I've had as a professional and, and as a human being um, to really be able to experience how other student conduct professionals and other human beings really are walking through the world and doing it in ways that in the U.S. we maybe wouldn't have thought about or couldn't begin to understand in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you and I both share is we we're both very well-traveled individuals. And there's difference between being a tourist and being a traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like in this particular journey, we were truly able to be travelers. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and definitely. And I agree with you, you know, because we were not just there. We were in the fabric of things. And, and and one of the things I think that you and I both appreciate is that when, at least in this instance, and it's the only instance I've had with you outside the country, is that when we go to a place, we want to be where the people are, you know, just to see the real, the the real you know, fabric of the place, right? And so for me, it was like that in the Philippines. It was like that in Dubai, you know, um, Malaysia, Maldives, Sri Lanka, you know, a great deal of other places too. So I definitely understand that. And so thank you for mentioning that because that's very powerful. 
I think it was most fascinating to me to really listen to, uh, there were case studies presented at this conference, cases that had happened at Filipino higher education institutions, and they were the same problems that we face in the United States. The cases could have been written from any institution in the U.S., and I would have thought it to be the same. And so I was fascinated to hear how our Filipino counterparts are really resolving these cases and, and still rooting themselves in fundamental fairness and making sure that students have the chance to respond. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the first time I went over there as well, I had the same thought about, oh, great, I'm going to go teach something. But I really came back going, oh, my goodness, I have so much to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a fantastic journey. I do want to also echo Ryan's sentiments. Um, We did lose our, our dear friend Rex. Uh, I also want to let the listeners know that Rex allowed me to record him for the podcast before he passed away. So I'm going to be sharing that audio with the audience later. Um, But he was a giant in Filipino higher education. He had the attention of Filipino President Duterte and had been endorsed. The seminars had all been endorsed by the Filipino presidency. So, you know, I asked him a lot about how he got the government's attention and how he helped really made Caspi a mark on their map and and he really kind of touted persistence and clarity and I just appreciated that so much and I take that sentiment with me now. Definitely, definitely. Very well stated. So I want to shift a little bit and and come back to home base in the US and and talk about some of the recent events in the media. You know, it feels like it was a million media cycles ago, but it was just a, 5 or 6 weeks ago that the attack in Charlottesville, Virginia occurred. And I know that that Mm -hmm. was uh, a way that a lot of us started out our school years with a lot of our students feeling unsafe, uh, a lot of our students fully acknowledging uh, the racial tensions that have re-arisen in the United States. So what do you make of that? And how do you work with your students to find ways to have good dialogue, to find ways to, to create safer spaces on your campus and teach really this idea that freedom of speech is offensive at times, but that doesn't mean that you have to be silent. Well, I mean, I've gotten to a point, and I'm not old at all, don't get me wrong, but I've gotten to a point where I just have taken on the philosophy that in order for you to understand, people have to talk. And in order for people to talk, you know, you have to have people who are in a space with good faith, right? So, Students, I think, in a lot of ways are better than the professionals at putting something out there to the forefront so that people can look at it, right? Now, the way that they may do it may come across as like, you know, somewhat confrontational or protest or those types of things, but at least they're doing it, you know? Um, a lot of professionals that I've seen try to stay away from it and try to take more so of a, of a line that, okay, if there's nobody raising hell about it, okay, things must be cool, then that's not necessarily a fight that we need to deal with right now. But the students are a little bit different. And so I, I guess... What we try to do is we try to keep the keep the bowling ball in play. So now we're not going to try to guide students one way or the other. But, you know, if they have a ball and they want to get it down the lane, we just have to function at the bumpers and make sure that nobody goes out of bounds, you know, in the way of um, hate speech or as best we can, you know, or violence as, as best we can. And, and those types of things, you really try to get down to the – the core of what what is there and most of the time you have fear hurt pain of some sort you know uh values that 
you know, people have that have not necessarily been challenged or questioned, right? And so the more we provide those spaces for questioning and for dialogue and for exchange and those types of things, uh, I think the better our students are and I think the better off we are as professionals. Now, having said that, uh, a stance that I take that is not popular to many is that we're not dealing with issues that started in, in November of 2016, right? Definitely not. We're not dealing with, with issues that started in the 60s. We're not dealing with issues that started, like, you know, in 1865, you know, with uh, with emancipation and those types of things. I mean, we're we're dealing with a country founding issues. The country was founded on uh, haves, haves, not, uh, haves and have nots. Most of the time uh, it was, you know, divided by race. I mean, when you look at slavery, when you look at the what, what is happening to Native Americans and, you know, uh, which is considered to be a genocide by many. I'm, I'm one of the ones who believe that, you know, for a land grab, taking of land, you know, establishment of of a new government, new systems, those types of things. I mean, this is what the country was founded on. This country wasn't founded on peaceful protests and those types of things. Uh, it, was, it was founded through through violence in a lot of ways. And so I, I speak about it like that because I speak about it from from a human, you know, perspective, not necessarily from a, a nationalist perspective, uh, but just a, a, a baseline human perspective. So this country was forged out of a lot of a lot of anxiety, right? Um, some people would even say hate. Or, or disdain for whatever it may be, but this is this is what happens, and so we're still feeling the the ripple effects and the tremors from that, and it just so happens that the more the the, the plates of racism or prejudice or you know oppression, uh, the the closer they grind together, the the louder the tremors become, and and here we are, and so it just so happens that when we look back at the election period, the sentiments that may have been quiet. You know, aren't as quiet anymore because uh, I don't really care if somebody's a Democrat or Republican or Independent or any of those. And I think we can all agree that uh, we have uh, a leader of our country who is very vocal, has a right to be, you know, through uh, freedom of speech and First Amendment and those types of things. But uh, the entities and people and parts of social groups that resonate with him that because he's not silent and quiet and he can be loud and, and, and be who he wants to be and give his message across that there's some people that it resonates with, right? And so those people who support that, and they're not quiet anymore. They have a voice and they have a space to, to say what they want to say. It's just interesting to me that you have folks who can say what they want to say uh, and may even be out of bounds from the laws, where it be violence, let's say protests or those types of things who we almost think that it's okay, yet you have another individual or group of individuals who may engage in peaceful protests under the laws that uh, could have a totally different uh, response from society, right? So I think this is an, an, an excellent case study, if you will, for us to pay close attention to. Uh, when it comes down to uh, race, when it comes down to socioeconomic status, and I'm a person that believes that in a lot of cases, race and socioeconomic status go hand in hand, right? And uh, we need to really just understand and concentrate on who we are and ask ourselves if it's who we want to be. And uh, I believe that there are a lot of people who will say, uh, that, no, this is not who we want to be. This is not our best selves. But we also have to allow some space for those uh, others who are out there who have different voices that say, well, this is who we need to be and this is who we are right now, and I'm fine with it. 
So those are the, the, the gut check questions that we have to ask individually as well as collectively uh, as a country. And so that's just my thoughts. I think you bring up a really excellent mirror that I think about a lot, which is that in in the post-secondary community at large, we are often called upon to address issues of and find solutions to widely systemic problems, um, problems that begin before little kids can talk, problems that have existed long before our generation was even born. Um, systemic injustice related to socioeconomic status, related to race, gender, other identities, all protected classes, etc. But then we're thrown into this four-year environment, and you know everyone around us seems to think that colleges and universities are magic wands for solving these systemic problems. So how do you wrap your head around that? Hmm. It doesn't necessarily be popular. I, I don't see. I don't think the colleges and universities are magic wands at all. I think that. Anytime you have a place that the more privileged in the society get a chance to go to work on some things, I think that the things that are being worked on are those things that can actually um, maintain power. Right? I don't know too many colleges and universities that are or will be in contact with just John Q. Jane Q. Public who doesn't necessarily have resources. And what I mean by that is, if you have to have resources to be a part of the conversation and be taken seriously, the re- the, the conversation is already um, in a poor spot, right? And and so um, I believe that any change that I've ever seen in my little short life uh, has been like grassroots change that people buy into. I mean, if you look at the same mechanisms that we employ in a crisis, why don't those same mechanisms uh, take station? You know, when we're not in crisis and also on our college campuses, when you have people that are in the crisis, I mean, we we band together, uh, we suspend in a lot of ways, um, tags with social group. You know, we, we come together under one umbrella for like, you know, the purpose of whatever it is to alleviate this crisis. And we go from there because we don't necessarily see race overall as uh, or, or racism as a crisis or socioeconomic status or disparities there and it's a crisis you no know, or you know uh gender expression and the oppression that comes along with that as a crisis i think we're always going to be in this oscillating kind of spot right at the point we really start getting to the point where we, we think that someone is not necessarily um being treated poorly as a crisis we want to really over and alleviate that collectively i think we can do that i just only we've gotten to that point so Colleges and universities are excellent places to have conversations, but I don't necessarily think the conversations in and of themselves solve issues, actions solve, solve issues, and there's something happening as far as a disconnect is concerned between the conversation and the actions that are needed in order to put us on a, a better path, uh, in my opinion. I think, um, you know, I agree with you. We are not a magic wand, but we are seen as one, and that's where I get a concern that the general public kind of looks at looks to higher education as a solution, but you know I really appreciate these ideas that around you know action steps and and also a really good reminder of the privilege that we mm-hmm. hold in the post secondary community. You have to have economic privilege or access to economic yeah. privilege in order to be here. So it's a great reminder of who's not included in our conversations by default. Yeah, and also just one more thing too. I mean, when we think about behaviors on our college campuses, right? 
everybody plays by pretty much the same playbook, you know, at least theoretically. You know exactly what the policies are. You know, you got a handbook of them, you know, and those types of things. So if you hear, while you may have, like, you know, and there's research to suggest that certain sanctions may be different, when it comes down to the process in and of itself and, you know, who's impacted by the process and those things, they're pretty, pretty much similar, if not the same. So I don't know if we can say that about just the the, uh, the U.S. population in general, right? Because uh, the range of living situations is different. The, the range of uh, municipalities and government therein are different, you know? So I don't know if we can say that's the same. So at least we have some control on the university or college campus that I don't know if that same control exists out in, in, in the general public. I want to turn a little bit and pivot towards your service in the association. You have an extraordinarily impressive resume when it comes to ASCA, which includes the very prestigious club of being both a past president and a conference chair. I know that you've been the recipient of the Donald D. Gehring Award and the Distinguished Service Award. Um, as I previously mentioned, you're, you've um, contributed a lot to the Gehring Academy over the years, mm-hmm. and then also have had um, the opportunity to work very closely with the African-American male, black male summit. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about the journey in the association, and I know that you're very service oriented, how do you help others rise in the association? Or what advice do you give to others so they can rise? Well, I mean, me personally, the one thing that I've always believed in doing was the same things that the people did for me, you know, and and that was, you know, invite somebody to lunch, invite somebody to dinner. For conferences for years, you know, if we were having like, you know, any kind of a a social, whether it be an organized social or not, you know, make sure that people know about it. Didn't matter what you look like, didn't matter what your background was. Uh, just sit down here and like, you know, um, share some time together, you know, maybe play some cards, maybe play some dominoes, maybe, you know, have a drink or two. And, and just talk because I think sometimes we we get so wrapped up in what we're trying to achieve uh, associate in an association or professionally that we forget to realize that the people are there. And so I don't know who said the statement first, but in regard to students, the, the, the students will uh, care what you know once they know how much you care. And I believe that professionals are the same way. They care what you know once you realize you actually care about their own professional development and those types of things. And so people did that for me. I stood on the shoulders of giants for a long time. Still do. Right. Uh, it just so happens now that I'm starting to feel as though uh, my shoulders are getting a little bit heavier because people are on them and I have no problem with that. And I love it. You know, anyway, I can support anyone. Uh, I'll definitely do that. And so that's what I've gotten into the habit of doing now. You'd be surprised how many people might call or, or email me, you know, just out of the blue. And the conversations go the same way. Hey, how you doing? Doing pretty good. I haven't talked to you in a while. Hey, I know. How's how's life? How's how's the family? And then it, it takes a real quick turn as to, hey, I got something I want to bounce off of you. <laughs> and it, it's like, all right, fine. Well, let's do it. And there was a time maybe about five, six years ago where I would say, you know what? I wish somebody would just call me just to see how I was doing and just to to, to shoot the breeze and chop it up with me a little bit. But then, you know, I had to get real, real with myself. It's like, you know, wait a minute. When you were a younger professional or you were trying to figure out how to navigate your way through ASJA, ASCA, or even like, you know, ACPA, <laughs> NASPA, or anywhere else, you did the same thing. 
And so uh, now I welcome it. I don't care if somebody wants to talk about life with me or anything like that. If they just want to talk about professional business or association business, I welcome it. You know, call me. Let's talk about it. And anything I have is yours because I believe in being a steward, not an owner. Right. And I had a lot of mentors that believed in stewardship rather than ownership, which is why they gave me what they had. Right. So, so that's what I try to do, whether it's at a conference or whether somebody's passing through town, whether it's at a Gearing Academy, you know, wherever it may be that I, I just love to be around people and, and be able to impart something. I don't know how much it's worth. I want to say it was uh, Dave Perry used to tell me, I said, Dave, want to pick your brain. He say, well, you know what? Uh, you can have whatever's left. So go ahead and go for it. <laughs> right. And, and so I remember those types of statements from people and I try to emulate the same thing. So what are your words of wisdom for our younger professionals who are just starting their journeys? Well, I don't know how wise they are, but I'll give them a thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got some wisdom in there. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, be authentic, live out loud, and, um, and and listen. And call your shots, right? Everything is not a shot, you know. Sometimes you got to pass it. Sometimes you got to, like, you know, just sit with it. Sometimes you have to sit in your own discomfort. But when you can't sit in discomfort anymore, when you have a good idea, you just can't hold it, you know, that may be the time to speak. Um, I talk a whole lot more now than I used to um, because I guess I don't necessarily have a lot of constraints. But until they, until the young professionals get to the point where they can actually be more vocal or choose to be more quiet because I'm also quiet in certain key instances. Um, just keep living keep living and, and do the best thing you can do and make sure that the energy you put out is the energy you want to get back. One of the things that I'm, I most appreciate about you is that you are just continually continuing to serve. Um, and so I, many folks may not know this yet, but uh, Ryan is co-editing a brand new book for ASCA and Akuho I. Um, so Ryan, is there anything that you can share about the book project? I will say this. First of all, I was very honored to even be considered or let alone selected. I mean, the, the, the editing team as well as uh, the advisors to that uh, are just dynamic. Uh, the other editors uh, include uh, Jacinda Hudson, uh, as well as Alan Acosta. Mr. James Bauman's been great. He's been a great resource. I'm sure there's some others who I haven't named, but we have a lot, a lot of good folks. Um, so I wanted to say that first. Second, I was surprised at how many people actually applied to contribute in, in any way. You had some that uh, wanted to be authors, uh, co-authors for a chapter. There were some who said, hey, I'll just do an appendix if that's what it takes. You know, you had others who just, just wanted to be in a process in some kind of way. And so that says a lot about the servant spirit that we have. Um, and not just ASCA, but also a cool eye and also other associations as well and, and that are connected to a, a, a consortium or so, right? There's going to be a lot of good information coming out of this book, a lot of fresh information, some things in the past that were amended, and also some things now that are just brand new when it comes down to thought. So when this project is finished, I think everybody ought to get a copy because it's going to be very informative for the work that we do, uh, specifically the conduct and housing. And let me just let listeners know too that you know when we say get a copy the authors are doing this service based as well the authors are doing this to contribute to the field and the proceeds are going to be going to Akuhawai and ASCA to keep our Prodevo going there you go I mean 
I mean, and, and what better way to like to, to serve them by doing that? I mean, you sometimes you get ways by making ways, and so I think that's a very smart way to do it. And so just have to be a part of it. So when can we expect to see the book for available for a purchase and publication? Well, no, I don't know if I can speak to that yet. I mean, there's too <laughs> many things to to, uh, to work through on that, but I would just say soon. We'll say soon. So speaking of books, Ryan, um, what are you reading right now, or what would you recommend listeners to be reading? Well, uh, well, how can I put it? I'm still reading uh, the uh, Kaplan and Lee higher ed law book because I'm teaching a class right now, so that's kind of <laughs> what's been having my attention. I'm working with them to make sure I actually know what I'm talking about and they're getting the most of it. But just to step away from the professional a little bit, there's a, a book that I'm going to read to my little girl before she goes to sleep some night. And, and that's the one that comes to my mind. And it's called I Know You Anywhere, My Love. And it's by Nancy Tillman. And pretty much the, 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 the gist of it is that if she changed shapes, if she was in one animal that either crawled or slithered or flew or was a rock or anything, just the the the, the essence of who she is and the core of who she is, regardless of what she turned into, I still know her because I know that spirit. And so that um, spoke a lot to me when it came down to become a little girl. That's my first child. And so she's five and building the same relationship with my 10-month-old, even though I haven't started reading to him yet. Uh, that's the one book that really just jumps to the forefront right now uh, that that I'm, I'm really reading besides that law book. All right. And if folks want to get a hold of you, if they want to call you or email you or tweet you um, just to see how you're doing and not necessarily ask for advice, where can they get a hold of you? Well, easy. The best way is uh, through my work email. You know, that's ryanholmes at miami.edu. Uh, any Facebook requests can go to RC Holmes. Um, that's my, my Facebook handle. Uh, Twitter, I really don't do as much as I used to. Um, I, I guess my my thoughts start getting too large for the characters uh, of character allotment that Twitter gives you. So start doing Twitter as much. Um, but I, I will get back on when it comes down to conferences and those types of things. Or you can just give me a give me a shout on my cell. You know, um, I'm always about like you know people call my cell phone. You know to talk to me. You know just making me. Well, I hope it's like you know a good conversation rather than somebody being upset with something I've said. You know, but it's three zero five three two three zero two nine two. Thank you so much, Ryan, for sharing your viewpoint today. Thank you for giving me the space to do so, and and also the the best of luck and positive energy as you continue through your turn. Thank you. In our conversation, you heard Ryan and I talk about Mr. Rex Ibanez, and Rex was the founder and chairman for the Center for Certification and Accreditation of Student Services in the Philippines. He and I signed the very first international MOU for both organizations, and that occurred in 2015. I was just in the Philippines in May of 2017, and Rex was really excited about this podcast project, and he agreed to be recorded for it. I'm really excited to be able to share his thoughts and his words, and to be able to share him and his legacy with all of you. I miss him very much. He was a good friend of mine, um, and he passed away just a couple of weeks ago. I hope you enjoy the conversation. 
I'm here with Mr. Rexy Banez, who is the chairman and president of CASPI, which is ASCA's Filipino Partners. CASPI stands for Center for Certification and Accreditation of Student Services in the Philippines Incorporated. And we've had a two-year agreement with CASPI so far. So we're sitting here at their national seminar on field trip management and student safety. Welcome to the podcast, Rex. Well, uh, thank you, Jill, and uh, welcome, everyone. Rex, can you talk a little bit about CASPI's mission and how uh, you founded the organization and became interested in working in student discipline? Uh, actually, uh, CASPI is uh, similar to, to, to other organizations working for student uh, development here in the Philippines. Uh, we started uh, with the concept of why is the problem uh, in the school is always uh, recurring. It looks like a cycle. Example, student conduct uh, or student discipline. Per year or each year, each academic year, the same problem for the next academic year. Violations of human rights during hearings, not a qualified practitioner or something like a conduct officer actually uh, who doesn't have proper training. And other aspects of uh, student affairs. So primarily, we gathered uh, concerns and then we we uh, come up into an idea that uh, for us to develop, really develop and improve our student services, we need to, to input or implement or work on the accreditation. Because so we all know that accreditation is uh, leveling up or to live to go into a higher level. So we decided that our core function is to certify student services and accredit student services in an in-depth manner and public with public-private partnership because we believe uh, student development is the right of the student and it is the right of everyone. Definitely. And I think one of the, the most interesting parts of CASPI is you have wonderful relationships with government partners. Uh, we just saw a talk here today from CHED, which is the Filipino Commission on Higher Education. Uh, they're talking about the new certification regulations for field trip management. How did you go about forming those relationships with CHED? Yeah, uh, actually we're happy on that because uh, for many years since we, we introduced ourselves to the Commission on Higher Education, it's, it's a Philippine government, uh, Philippine agency that handles uh, higher education affairs in the Philippines according to Republic of uh, Higher Education of the Philippines. Uh, we, had this, uh, we have this smooth relationship because they see our programs, our advocacies, student disciplines, our student conduct, uh, student affairs uh, development in general is very very helpful to the entire community of the Philippines because there is uh, there is a problem with uh, in the Philippines because uh, not all schools uh, because of the the islands because we are you know an archipelago uh, the transfer of information trainings and among others so the Commission of Higher Education uh, see us as a partner for development and that is why we are thankful and we are proud of that matter. I think CASPI and ASCA have very similar missions in the long run and we are so glad to have you as partners. Can you talk a little bit about how our partnership came to be? Yeah, actually, in, but, uh, that, that was 2015, right, Jill? Uh, we prayed, actually. That was uh, actually the, sec the, first, uh, the second year that we, 
we really started working, working because we started the idea of the Caspi was uh, conceptualized around 2009 or 10, and then we started an event or the full uh, full uh, full start 2014. So it's really our first year, and then we prayed we need a partner. We need a partner. Then we were looking for partners over the internet, searching for the same uh, advocacies. So we decided uh, let's uh, let's start with the student discipline. Start with the student conduct, and then the board approves it at the time. That yes, yes, let's let's focus on student uh, discipline first, and then anyway, in the Philippines, uh, student affairs or student services is uh, very very uh, wide, or it has a lot of components, right? And the same with. Uh, with uh, your country. So when the board approves the proposal that we started focusing on student affairs, as a time I e emailed you, <laughs> I am happy that there was an email uh, address that time. And then I am also happy, uh, the CASP in general is happy that they, they asked our ESCA, responded as very, very positive. And then that is why you were in Antipolo. We, we formally signed a partnership in one new partnership for development focused on uh, student affairs, uh, student uh, discipline. And that is why that time, around 200 participants coming all over the country, uh, witnessed uh, what is ASAA and how ASAA could, uh, could help the Philippines uh, set, uh, practitioners. And the first partnership, the first year actually, and you're talking that time, student, uh, say, a student uh, discipline with crime prevention. After that year, we really uh, had this evaluation on, on how your talk, the partnership, uh, shared something or improved some, uh, give improvement to the locals. And then there are reports uh, from the ground that their system of the conduct or student discipline is quite improving and you know we cannot improve overnight we cannot uh, just uh, say yes tomorrow it would be <laughs> it would be a perfect uh, process <clears throat> but a good thing is we we got uh, reports that they, what we learned during your talk during the inputs of ASAA really helped them, them in, in in managing student discipline ensuring a judicious conduct of uh, student discipline it is our pleasure to have been a part of it. Um, this is my third CASPI event. Yes. The last one I got to bring Dr. Ryan Holmes with yes. me, uh, who's a, a past president of ASCA as well. He always describes it as life-changing. Yes. Um, he had a wonderful time meeting all of our Filipino colleagues. And what we realized is we're struggling with very similar student issues. Yes. Um, I remember last year we did case presentations where other practitioners would share the details of a student conduct case that went interestingly or perhaps badly in some yeah, cases. Exactly, you're, you're right, Jill, uh, because that was in Cebu, right? That was last year, 2016. The conference in Cebu focused on student discipline. Cases were presented and you saw, you, you, you heard them. A simple case, uh, they didn't have this basic uh, idea, basic knowledge, or basic information how to how to troubleshoot the issue, how to hold uh, hearings, how to ensure human rights is uh, Preserve or something like uh, maintain. So you really see the need of the Philippines in terms of uh, uh, judicious uh, conduct, and we really need a helper or a partner because we're also a uh, helper. We really need a partner to work together for for the development of, of everyone. 
No, I think it's interesting that, again, I mentioned earlier, your government partners are very interested in you. We struggle with that in the U.S. a whole lot. So what advice would you give to U.S. practitioners when trying to get government partners on board? In Philippine context, it is a quiet uh, different. Uh, we always uh, invoke our right uh, because of our present constitution and the setup being a democratic uh, country. However, not always. <laughs> that uh, the, uh, Partners for Development uh, were given an approval or, or, or a say yes, but still working on. But in the context of uh, the United States, uh, my, my, my advice, uh, friendly advice to USAA is work more and tell the government that we are your partner. See the, the change, for example, at ten, one decade before ASAA started and then now ASA started working and then years, years, till the government, the officials, the senators, the Congress, even the President of the United States that ASA is a partner for development for a better America. Work more, still keep the fire burning inside, work uh, uh, passionate, uh, passionately, uh, please, 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 uh, be a visionary practitioner because in, in the visionary, visionary leadership uh, you, can, you could uh, explore the realm beyond the normal imagination. One of the things I very much appreciated this morning was seeing you all wake up so energized and I believe the quote I saw was we wake up with determination and we'll go to bed with satisfaction. Yes, uh, actually uh, we wake up this morning with a heart that is uh, very open for for developing for partnership uh, with our with our fellow practitioners uh, and advocates here in uh, in the seminar, and of course uh, we are very much happy when you confirm that uh, you will be attending. You will be sharing again. SAE is uh, sharing again uh, the the inputs to development and honestly, the 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 inputs of ESA through you. The, the lesson on student or discipline or student conduct from his as a perspective uh, through you delivered to the conference today and in the past really opened the minds of the Filipino practitioners and we really hope uh, SAA and CASPE would still work will still work uh, for that pattern. You got the opportunity to come to the conference in Florida um, a couple of years ago. What did you take away from learning from what U.S. Americans are doing? Uh, actually, <laughs> that was my first international international travel, and I traveled alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, although I'm not afraid, but uh, you know, it looks like I am a stranger in a big, big, big world. <laughs> Uh, United States of America is very awesome, very, very great. Uh, when I attended a conference in Florida last 2016 in Tampa, Florida, I learned a lot during the, lec uh, the lectures and I think the breakout sessions. Actually, I keep on pa posting my thoughts or the thoughts of the speaker, posting on Facebook <laughs> for the Filipino practitioners to understand and learn also. Uh, during that time, Actually, it's it's very new uh, for me. It's uh, the, the concept, the, the the context. It's very uh, Western part or an American setup. But I try to understand because in my, I am 
yung open-minded, yung broad-minded, yung liberal type of uh, person. They understand uh, beyond the event, beyond the, the uh, moment. And I see that the inputs of, of the ASAA conference in Florida is also uh, important or essential or, let's say, fit to the, to the context of uh, the Philippine setup, but not all, not all. Example, during that time, I, I attended one lecture. Uh, we discussed about uh, sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct. Although sexual misconduct uh, lectures given here in the Philippines, but more on the work in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But if you are going to, to talk about sexual misconduct in the within the academy, it's not quite uh, uh, discussed, particularly students. And we know the fact that the, the violations are very very rampant in terms of sexual misconduct. Mm -hmm. I had this experience before that a particular instructor negotiated with uh, his uh, female <coughs> female student. I will give you a grade of one. We will have a one-day, one-night experience. And it is very, very, you know, offensive and not good. So what I learned uh, during the sexual misconduct lecture uh, during the ASA and then I, I, every, I, I cut everything that I need to connect, uh, that, that are needed for the cases here. So actually, I learned a lot during that time, although I cannot uh, attend all the lectures <laughs> because I'm only one and then there are so many breakouts. <laughs> yeah. But I really selected or choose the best uh, talk for me. Well, I know our time is limited today, and so I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, Rex, if people are interested in learning more about Caspi, where can they go on the web, or how can they email you? Yeah, actually, uh, Caspi is uh, open for partnership uh, with other organizations. Of course, uh, not only for uh, student discipline, because again and again, student affairs or student services is very, very uh, uh, wide, or there's a lot of components. If your organizations similar with us or aiming for uh, partnership, uh, they can reach us at ccaspi.org or email at cfasitp2010gmail.com. So again, our website is www.caspi.org. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to reach the podcast, you can Gmail us at ASCAPodcast at gmail.com. That's A-S-C-A-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at ASCAPodcast. Thank you so much, Rex, for sharing your viewpoint. Thank you very much. For sure, I will call for our meeting and everyone will hear the, we will, uh, hear the, the broadcast. Thank you. Next week on the ASCA Viewpoints podcast, we welcome Cindy Vasquez Barrios. Cindy is a former board member for ASCA, where she served as the director for community colleges, and she also serves as the dean of students at Joliet Junior College in Joliet, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. We hope you come back and join us. This episode was produced and hosted by Jill Creighton, that's me. 
co-produced, edited, and mixed by Colleen Mater. Special thanks to New York University's Office of Student Conduct and Community Standards for allowing us the time and space to create this project. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you please like, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others discover us and helps us become more visible in the general podcasting community. If you have suggestions for featured guests or would like to be featured on the podcast yourself, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at ASCA Podcast or by email at ASCA Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>